Welcome to GVEC Unplugged, the award-winning podcast by employees for employees. Join us for engaging interviews and lively discussions with coworkers and guests. Get ready to dive into the vibrant world of our cooperative and experience the pulse of our community. Let's get started. Sydney Jackson is a horse trainer from Ogden, Utah. She was a keynote speaker at the Arbinger Institute Summit last year. We had some folks from GVC attend there as well, so we invited Sydney to come and speak at our annual spring managers meeting. And while she was there, we asked her to stop by and be a guest on our GVEC Unplugged podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and welcome to Texas, Sydney. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to be here. That's awesome. Yeah, I lived in Texas for a little while training horses. Oh, okay. It's my favorite state that I've lived in. So I guess welcome back. Yeah, I guess. That's great. Yeah. Where were you in Texas? Pilot Point. It's about an hour out of Dallas. Okay. Wow. Well, all right. Well, yeah. you're you're in the um, birthplace of Texas right here in Gonzales, Texas. It's where it's all, all started. It is so beautiful <laughs> out here, too. On our drive over all the wildflowers, I was... I was like, this is gorgeous. Okay, Sydney. Well, we're delighted you're here, and I'm just honored to be able to spend a little bit of time with you and hear your story. So how did you get into horse training? It started for me when I bought a Mustang when I was 12 years old, and I had no experience with horses physically. I had read all the books and all the movies, so... I, I guess I can say that's where my horse training journey started. Mm-hmm. I think that's every little girl's sort of go-to fantasy animal or something as a horse. Yeah, there's definitely something about women and horses. I, I think every little girl at some point in her life is drawn to having a horse. Yeah. That's awesome. You, yeah. made it came, you made it come true at 12. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. Um, so I purchased my first horse, that Mustang, when I was 12. And as a horse trainer now at the level I am... I wouldn't consider that horse training, you know, like I thought I was pretty punchy, pretty cool because I broke this Mustang to be able to sit on her and make her mostly go where I wanted most of the time. At 12 you you did this or around that age? Wow. What was that like? Um, How did you break her? Um, Just by swinging on and she would buck me off. So (laughs) I'd get on again and she'd buck me off and we just kind of repeat till we got better outcome basically yeah I think a few people might have given up after the first buck off but you you got back on yeah I was definitely passionate enough about it that no matter how many times I hit the ground it was just oh well I guess we need to try again yeah because that didn't work (laughs) that's what you're told to do right get back on Mm -hmm. (laughs) wow what's the horse's name her name was Belle oh Belle my dog's name is Belle But I'd say like for me, so again, now as an actual professional trainer, I I really got to where I was truly training horses when I got a job when I was 14 with a horse trainer. Okay. And again, I thought I was pretty cool. I thought I knew some stuff. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he was asking me um, simple questions that I understand now are simple when it comes to horse training, like what is a lead and just a few different technical terms. And I was like... Uh, <laughs> what is he talking about? Um, so, so are there different styles of horse training also? Like, is it, you know, for different purposes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, whether you're talking about different disciplines, mm-hmm. but even within disciplines, there's so many different styles of how to train and none are right or wrong. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's more just what works for you and what works for that horse or what fits your style. Okay. So what would you say is your typical day like how how do you spend your time now mostly you know I'm I've been really blessed the last oh five six years to have assistants and whether they're assistants or interns so I have been able to spend a lot of my time in the saddle more so than Mm -hmm. when you first start out um which I kind of miss sometimes. Sometimes I kind of kick my saddler out and like go take a take a break like I I want I love that part of it um I was wondering how many days you could go without riding a horse or being around a horse. <laughs> Not very many. Um, actually, even on a, we, when I went on 
my honeymoon, the first thing I did when we got to Mexico was notice that there was horses on the beach (laughs) and they were doing trail rides. And I was like, can we go do that? And he was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, no. (laughs) So, um, about three days and I start feeling itchy for Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, yeah, about three days is, is when I start just needing it. Sure. For sure. So how many horses do you have? Um, that's a rude question. No, just kidding. No, just (laughs) kidding. Too many personally. Um, I've actually been trying to unload some of mine this last year because I I do some breeding as well of my reigning horses and so of my own personal ones. And so I think, I think actually, I think as of last month, I think I'm like down to two personal. Okay. I have some partners on them on certain ones, like five for me personally, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's just a lot of work with yeah. when oh, it's yours, for sure. You know? I just know sometimes they become a collection for people. I've known horse mm-hmm. people before, yeah. and you know it's, it's just like one more horse, and yep, you know that's where I was getting to, and I was like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is becoming a problem. Yeah, I was thinking back to the training, and so you said you have reining horses. Do other trainers train for you know just riding for pleasure, or obviously for showing? Um, I'm thinking of roping and rodeo and all the different sports and things. Yeah, yeah. So you can either, like for me, I mean, I'll train them for anything, really. I'm, I'll do, if you just have a pleasure horse, you know, that you, pleasure, that's actually a term for a certain kind of competing. Okay. But even if it's just one you just want to ride around or do mm-hmm. trail rides on. So I, I do a little bit of everything, but I do specialize in reining. And what kind of drew me to reining was when I first started working for the very first trainer when I was 14 and I had done 4-H and barrels and poles and all that and loved it mm-hmm. and he came running down you'll if if anybody listening to this hasn't seen what raining is uh look it up YouTube okay it's super fun raining got it but uh he came running down the arena and just did this huge slide stop and the horse just ate that dirt with the hind end and he was right I mean his cues were so small I mean, mm. you you if if you don't know what you're looking for, a lot of the time when you're watching someone ride a reining horse, you don't you don't even see it. You don't know why that horse is doing what it's doing. And so many people watch it and go, "Oh, well, that person just gets to sit there," and it mm-hmm. is it's because it's such a fine honed skill, and you yeah. have such a high level of communication with that horse, and that just drew me right in. I was like, I want to be able to, you know, basically in a whisper to my like, I want I want to be almost doing nothing and have that horse so tuned in with me mm-hmm. that with the lightest of cue, I'm getting a huge result. Yeah, I can imagine that would take a lot of time and building that relationship with the horse, just like when he with anybody else to to get to that point. Yeah, know each other that well. Yeah, That's it's really a pretty cool. magical feeling, yeah. especially. I would say one of my favorite things about being a horse trainer or even building relationships with horses in general is you don't have to talk. Like, mm. it's funny being a speaker now mm, because yes. I'm, not, I'm not, I don't typically like to use words, you know. And actually, earlier, Carolyn was talking about, she's saying, you know, that even within your company or with your teams, you know, you know when something is off. Sure. Yeah. She's like, you can feel it. We're perceptive creatures, but mm. I feel like, because humans have verbal that we skip the nonverbals so much mm-hmm. and you may you may be able to look at someone until they're having a bad day but if you say are you good yeah i'm fine oh sure. good and on your day you go where with horses you don't have to worry about that they're mm. always always honest with you and they make you be really honest with yourself as well and if they don't like you you can <laughs> you you find that out you're gonna find that out within the first five seconds and you know and if you don't and if you, then if you don't work on that relationship and find out what that horse needs from you in order to feel safe you know it's it becomes dangerous for you but you never get anywhere and so no fake relationships are ever developed between you and a horse mm-hmm. and that's pretty special. That's powerful. And that might lead us into the second part of your story. But when you're looking at a good rider or a good leader of the horse, you know, what are you looking for? What can you see in that, that team? Um, yeah. that you can tell they have a good. So people would have different opinions on that because some people, it's all about the the competition, you know, what kind of scores are you marking on that horse? And if you're marking a good score, then to them, that's a good 
trainer, right? Because you're winning. For me, and you can still win and and do it mm-hmm. with a good relationship, right? If you're if you're going about it, it just takes a little longer usually. For me, what I like to see, and I've been really grateful to actually get some compliments from some people that I highly respect as trainers. They actually, just last summer, I had a trainer that wins a lot and does very well, but he came to my barn and uh, he walks in and he says, all of the horses are so friendly. I can't believe how friendly every single horse in your barn is. And that was just a huge compliment to me that, you know, that Mm -hmm. that's the atmosphere, that these horses do look at people as friends. So to me, what like I look for, or, you know, if I walk up to the stall and they're excited to see me, because it's not like I don't give my horses treats. Okay. In fact, that's what the other trainer said. He says, some of my horses don't like me, so I've started trying to bribe them with treats. And I just kind of <laughs> giggled to myself, and I said, well, you know, whatever. But what happens when you don't have the treat? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that develops a whole other set of issues where they end up biting you and all kinds of stuff anyway. Yep, but there you go. Can't bribe them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so what I look for in, in, like, if I'm watching other people, it's more just the interaction, you know. If, if you walk up to that horse to go swing your leg over and go for a ride, what is its body language saying? Mm-hmm. Is it excited to go to work you know and go learn something new and and take some pressure or is it you know ears pinned flat wrinkled nose you know is it like oh man these guys again and they've kick and spur on me and I gotta go do all this crap I don't want to do so Mm -hmm. um so again like what I look for in and in what I even with my clients you know and and for myself evaluating myself with those animals is if you're being a good leader and a good trainer then that horse is excited to go to work for you that's that's huge and like you said just with people you and carolyn had discussed you can pick up on those cues and if we took the time to just really dig in or give people space whatever we feel like they're needing instead of just going about it then yeah that would be much better yeah and I mean, sure. it's so interesting too, because how how hard is a five minute check in? You mm-hmm. know, if you go to do a meeting and you can tell something's off, and a lot of the time it's like, well, I don't know, I, we got it, we got to get to this paperwork or, yep. or this report, and you know, it it means so much to people if if you're reading that body language, and maybe if it's not something with you, that doesn't mean it should just be dismissed. You know, oh, you're fine with me, okay, good, because I have to give you this, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. It's It's hard to compartmentalize sometimes. You know, you come to work, but we have other things, you know, happening. Like you said, it could be unrelated to the current situation, but you carry it with you wherever you're going. So, yeah, that's that's right. That's a big part of my job. I have found that I was actually talking to someone with this about this after speaking, but I said, you don't realize when you're a horse trainer that it has nothing to do with horses because Mm. horses are easy. (laughs) It's training the people. And so same thing for me, if, if my client comes in, cause horses are so perceptive. I mean, they feel everything that from you because all they, that's all they have to go on. And for a horse, it can't ask you, it can't check in with you. Oh, did you have a bad day at work? Oh, well it makes sense why you're being crappy then, you <laughs> right. know? So if my client walks in and I can read their body language and they are off and I let them swing on that horse, that carries over to their ride. And if it carries over to their ride and you're riding a 1200 pound animal and come into it with a bad attitude, and I mean, that's people's lives at stake. Sure. That's yeah. my liability, right? It's mm-hmm. not something I can dismiss because you can do the best job in the world training a horse, but still at the end of the day, a horse. Sure. And they can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to do those check-ins with people and figure out, you know, try to get them in the best headspace possible heading into the lesson with their horse. Have you noticed with people you've worked with, longer that they begin to realize that about themselves before they start like they know they need to check check themselves yeah absolutely I mean that's I know I'm doing my job right when my clients call me and even when they take their horses home from training you know Mm -hmm. it's finished and everything and they'll call me and tell me you know I knew I was in a bad headspace today so I I took a five minute drive or played some music or I that's when um, a tool I teach my clients is you know if you're starting out your ride and you you're carrying the weight of the world with you as you swing on mm-hmm. put in earbuds I'll sit down I'm out of your hair I'm not going to start trying to give you directions take however long you know five mm-hmm. ten minutes 15 minutes 20 I don't care you know but turn on some music whatever kind you need today and go ride your horse, and I call it rhythmic riding. And rhythmic so, riding, I love that. Yeah, 
So they think they're there to learn how to ride a horse, but they come out of this with like a whole mind shift. It sounds like, yeah, how to get better centered with themselves and yeah. how to relate to a horse. But I, hopefully that translates or transfers over to relating with people and coworkers and family yeah. and all of that. That's uh, that's why for for my training, my logo is complete connection and. The idea for me with that is complete connection between you and your horse, but also you, like yourself, your relationship with yourself and just how that translates into relationships with others as well. Absolutely. So I watched your video and one of the stories I really enjoyed was how you were explaining the connection with how our thoughts manifest into our our physical body language. Tell us that story. So... This it kind of ties into mindset, right? Which we were just kind of talking about relationships with people and relationships with yourself, but that really all can be encompassed in mindset. And when you're riding a horse, you know, again, tying back to earlier, they sense everything you're thinking and feeling. And our thoughts and our emotions, again, body language is displayed so physically. So I had a lady that was bringing, brought a horse in for training and she was having issues with it. She was very frustrated with the horse and she's, it would speed up and buck her off every time she got on within the first five, 10 minutes. And I got on, I brought the horse in for training and I, I was like, this horse is fine. Uh, which, you know, I mean, that's why I'm a professional, right? But mm-hmm. I couldn't get it to buck. I mean, I was wiggling and just doing all kinds of crazy things. I was like, let it out, kid. Like, this is why you're here. Let's find the problems. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it, the hole, you know. So after spending a week of riding that horse, I was like, all right, well, we got to figure out what this is. So the client needs to come ride and I'll watch and we'll, we'll problem solve. And she came and she swung on and instantly, I mean, her whole body just rigid because she was afraid, which was valid. Mm-hmm. And... I said to her, I said, what are you thinking right now? And her eyes opened up and she's like, what? Like, and I said, well, what are you thinking? And she said, don't speed up. And I said, well, the thought, that thought is creating so much tension in your body that your legs, without you even realizing it, are death gripping that poor horse. And, you know, with horses, that's pressure. And and until, I mean, they have to be trained to, like, I teach my horses that leg pressure isn't forward. I teach them that verbal, like a cluck, okay. is forward, and my legs are used for direction and collection. And I do that because a lot of people, as they're learning to ride, get really nervous, mm-hmm. and their legs tighten up and all these things. But anyway, so I said, well, instead of thinking, don't speed up, I said, I want you to think, relax. And then I took a big, deep breath, because mm-hmm. people forget to breathe when they're nervous. <laughs> right. I said, relax, <laughs> slow down. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me like, you're crazy. Like... <laughs> My horse wants to buck me off. Like you, you're gonna just tell you me can't to relax think. up here. <laughs> you know, like that's not gonna change anything. And so I said, you know, I just encouraged her and said, no, really, I want you to sit there for just a moment and think, relax, slow down. And at this point, she had started walking the horse, and I could tell where it was, you know, headed with her original energy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so she's like, okay. She took this big deep breath and all of a sudden, I mean, you could literally feel the shift mm. like that horse just boom, just turned into jello and just started head down soft, just walking around. And she looked over at me like witchcraft, like that's <laughs> magic. So it, it and again, I could try to sit and tell her about the physical. I could say you're squeezing your horse, stop doing that. Your hips are tight, don't do that. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the problem. And if you're trying to address, it was, but where was it created? For her. Right, so in her thoughts. That's a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And she may, as as I say it, you know, don't squeeze your legs. She's going to take them off, but she, her, she's still got that mental tension that yes. within the next five seconds, her legs are going to be squeezing again because mm-hmm. she's nervous. I love that. So you said the same thing, but just in a different way. So instead of don't go fast, it's just slow down. Relax, so it's a, slow you're, down. you're wanting the same result, but it's all about the approach. And like you said, the the tension versus being relaxed and it's good stuff. Yeah. And uh, now it's reminding me to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I was at an HR training one time and we were with our partner at the table and they told us one person squeeze your hand as tight as you can. And the other person needs to try to get it open. 
And so my partner was squeezing her hand and I was kind of looking around at everyone else and they were all pulling and ripping and trying to get that hand open. And I just said, would you open your hand, please? And she did. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes it's just the simple approach. I love that story. That is great. So do you have a favorite funny or touching or a memorable story from the people you've worked with? Oh, so many. I'll start with the funny. I had the most hilarious girl that I coached. Um, And this is so, I mean, this is so random, but it's definitely something that I I sit and think about all the time. Uh, She just, I, I had the hardest time keeping her engaged. She was around 11 and she was one of my favorite people. But as her coach, I mean, constantly I was like, her brain is somewhere else, you know, like, what are we doing right now? And in particular, this one day she was riding around outside and whenever she was in her head, you know, not on her horse in her head, you know. Yeah. Just like uh, watching a bird fly by yeah. or something. I don't yeah. know what she was doing. She'd kind of stick her tongue a little out of her mouth and get this like scrunched face look. And there it was. And I'm like, okay, so-and-so tell me what you're thinking about so that you can let it go and focus and, and be able to connect with your horse. And without even skipping a beat, she goes, you never buy a new mirror. <laughs> it's always used. And I'm like, Whoa. what? <laughs> she she goes, is thinking way out there. Yeah. And I was like, what? And she goes, well, yeah, because if you think about it, from the second a mirror is created, it's getting used. <laughs> wow. And it was just so funny. And those were the kind of comments that I got from her all the time. That is funny. So like to see where she ends up one day. Me too. She's <laughs> going to do some awesome things. I always told her she needed her own TV show because she'd be yeah. very entertaining. Very witty, for sure. Very witty. Yeah. She had a great wit. So let me, I guess, kind of back up as a two-part to this question. Is everyone you're training there just to learn to ride, or do they come for other reasons, like for therapeutic reasons or other things like that? So I did, and I was a part of an equine therapy program for over five years and that was the most amazing experience horses are therapeutic all by themselves in and of their nature but so in a therapy setting it's nice I mean I'm not a therapist I was a life coach for these young girls but it it was you didn't have to do anything I mean the horses really did all the work for you with Mm -hmm. the girls and you gotta just watch the magic happen and it it's truly um magic a great story from that was we had a girl come out and you know very white tennis shoes not a speck of dirt Mm. and just beautiful but just so clean so pristine and she didn't want to be there and she she flat made that very very clear and um we had a horse that her name was I think it was Tootsie actually but she she just wasn't the most friendly I mean she'd when so we'd take the girls on a tour and they got to pick their horse that they wanted to work with and the ones that they were drawn to were always so intriguing it was always just what they needed but mm. this horse in particular didn't get picked very often because she wasn't friendly and she would stay at the far end of her pasture I mean she wasn't rude she's just not very social mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so she had never done this before but this girl you know we're riding around we drive them around in a golf cart to let them see all the horses and the whole time just I don't want to be here take me home mom like the whole nine yards and we came around the corner and she just said stop just stop and we stopped the golf cart and you know we we were kind of nervous we didn't want her to you know she's there for therapy and stuff we didn't want her to take off she'd been known Mm -hmm. to run away but reading her body language seemed fine like so we we stopped and she stepped out of the golf cart and instantly it was like it was literally like a tv show that horse had been facing the opposite direction clear across to pasture and the same second she stepped off that golf cart that horse just turned around faced her and she walked right to that pasture like she knew exactly where she was going and that horse walked across the pasture and met her at the gate that just gives me chills i mean cool yeah and and stories like that just happened left and right and daily i mean so that was a really really cool experience But once my personal training program started taking off, I was too busy to do a lot of the therapy work, unfortunately, because Mm -hmm. I loved it. So now I do more just directly. So how kind of my business works is people will bring me a horse in for training. I like to have the client as involved as possible because, again, it's not about me and the relationship. It's about them and that relationship. Sure. 
So some people bring them for, I mean, I have clients who've been with me for seven plus years that have just leave their horses in full-time training all the time. They come and we go compete at shows together. So we, that's, that's the most of my business right now, but I'll also do, you know, um, people can haul in their horse and work with me for an hour kind of a thing. If, if training isn't financial, Mm -hmm. you know, going to work for them or if that's just what they prefer, you know, Hey, give me this, this homework. I'll go home and work on it. We'll come back and get some more tools. Do you board some of them also for folks or is it more like they just bring them for that day or that time? Yeah. So at our facility, we do just training. We don't do any outside boarding. If they're in training, then they're boarded at the facility, okay. but we don't have lots of boarders. Sure. Well, that's good. That's less yeah. work for you then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little less stressful for sure. I've really enjoyed learning about your horse training experience, and I haven't ridden a horse in probably 10 years, so it's making me rethink my life decisions right now. Um, instead of using our Polaris around the place, maybe we should bring some horses back. Absolutely. You should. Yeah. So let's change gears just a little bit. So I understand that you have had some unimaginable loss and tragedy in your life. Would you like to share with us some of your personal story? Yeah. So my family has a really rare genetic disorder called Lee syndrome. And what that means is that we are way too familiar with cancer. So I've had cancer twice. The first time was breast cancer when I was 12. And I've lost my younger brother, my younger sister, and my dad, all to different types of cancer. My dad had cancer between eight to ten times. We literally lost count. It was so many. My word, when did it start with him? At what age? Uh, he's, he didn't get his first until, actually, I think he was 21, and it was mm-hmm. colon cancer when he was 21. Oh, wow. So it's interesting that his started later in life for him, and then just... I guess it's all spiraled. relative. 21, yeah. that's... That's yeah. young. <laughs> yeah, but for my sister, I mean, she passed away when she was a month away from her fourth birthday. So in, yeah. in perspective, you know, he, he made it a yeah. good portion of life before realizing that he even, in fact, our family, we don't just have Lefromani syndrome. When the doctors at Huntsman, they kept testing our family for this disease and all the tests would come back negative and they were like we don't understand you know your family seems to have these traits but the tests always come back negative so it wasn't until way after I had cancer that they were so excited Huntsman loves our family (laughs) they think we're great Mm. but uh, they think we're very interesting so they were like we have new technology will you guys come up and give us more blood because we want to run it through our new da 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 right so Mm -hmm. They call us up there to go meet with them after testing, and the, <laughs> the doctor looks at us, and she, she said it like this. So I don't know how else to say this, but you're not the average freaks of nature, <laughs> and she's so excited. So anyway, so our family has its own You're extraordinary unique, freaks of nature, yeah, not just ext- average. Huh? Yeah, we're not the average <laughs> freaks of nature. But yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's been a long journey with all of that. So how was that for you at, at 12 years old, trying to wrap your mind around that when you're so young and yeah, developing I mean, at that point? You know? Yeah, we actually found my cancer because me and my sister were wrestling around in the bathroom, and she elbowed me right in the chest, and she looks at me and says, what do you have stuffed down your shirt? And I said, nothing. And she goes, oh, there's something, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, no. And uh, I'd been actually trying to tell my mom. I kept saying, Mom, my, my boobs look a little different than each other, right? And and my mom kept saying, you're developing, you're 12, that's going to happen. And she, uh, there actually was a special one night on TV about breast cancer. And I turned to my mom and I said, Mom, how do you know if you have breast cancer? And she's like, will you knock it off? You're 12 years old. You do not have breast cancer. Well, then the incident with my sister happened. And she, as soon as she realized that I, you know, was not stuffing my bra, she said, we need to go get mom. Mm. And we went up to Primary Children's, and they did an ultrasound and everything. And then they said, they were like, we're a children's hospital. We don't treat breast cancer. So you're going to have to go up to Huntsman. And we went up to Huntsman. I think the, like, in, in retrospect, like, I think the hardest thing going through all of that young was just feeling like... I didn't really have a childhood, but I feel Mm. like that started way back even with losing my sister. I was seven when she passed away, and my dad, with all of his types of cancer, I mean, he was constantly sick, whether it was his brain tumor and my parents were gone or different things like that. I just grew up way too fast, and I wish I wouldn't have. You know, I 
instead of thinking about unicorns and fairies and all the things, I was wondering who was going to die next and mm. when they were going to die and if I was going to die. And so I think it, for a lot of the time, it felt really lonely, like through childhood. It felt very, I felt just lonely, like different from where everybody else was at. And yeah. no one could relate to that at yeah. your age, um, your friends. Yeah. Is that the same time then that it drew you to the horses? Was um, feeling lonely? I mean, I always, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say from the time I could talk, I, all I thought about and talked about was horses. I, I have memories of being so young. I, I, I don't know how old I was, but I was little enough that I still have the visual of a t- my tiny little hand, you know, and we were driving in the car and I was using my hand, this tiny little hand as a horse galloping next to the car and, and watching, I, if there was street signs, I'm jumping the street oh, signs, wow. you know? So I really, I feel like loving horses was just born as a part of who I am. And I'm so grateful for that because they have definitely been therapeutic mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. me throughout life. But yeah, so I was. So you're 12 years old, you're dealing with that. Was there a time when something happened? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was super lucky that honestly, I was lucky that I had a really extremely rare, I like to do that. <laughs> we like to be rare, rare. <laughs> unique, but I had such a rare kind of cancer that the doctors, they flew doctors in from Germany and all over the place wow. to try to come up with a treatment plan for this cancer. And they, I was lucky because they couldn't recommend a type of chemo. They, they had ideas, but I, I don't know, you know, how many listeners know this, but if, if a doctor recommends chemotherapy to a child and the parents do not follow through, they can take the child out of the home to make them mm. go through treatments. It's terrible. But I, I'm, I didn't want to do chemotherapy. I had seen my sister do chemo mm. and just what absolute hell it truly mm. is and was, to be honest, terrified. I was sure. like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, d- I don't want to go through that. I, I'd rather die than go. She died anyway. Mm. You know, I mean, it did nothing for her to be miserable Mm -hmm. for a year and a half. She did chemo. And so I'm lucky because they couldn't recommend they didn't have a strong enough, you know, this will help with this. Mm -hmm. So we actually did a mastectomy. So at 12 years old, I had a complete when when I'm saying flat chest on that side, it was Mm -hmm. there was nothing. So we had to get uh, they didn't want to do reconstruction that young. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get a stick-on boob. Okay, it was great. Chicken and, cutlet. Uh, it, that's exactly what it looked like. Yes, and I remember going into the store where you purchase such items, and they were like, "What are you guys doing here? Like, this is not the normal." And as a young girl, honestly, one of the funniest things was like bra selection. I sure. mean, they were made for probably fifty and up, and I was like, <laughs> "Is there anything with some like lace or pink or right. no?" nope we're going tan and thick like big old thick straps okay you know so that was interesting but so (laughs) having a having a you know cancer is hard enough when you're a developing young girl we actually I have a fake left eye too okay we have fun stories with that as well I was at a haunted hollow is what it was called it was like a forest and I was leading the way through the forest because after you're 12 and you've had breast cancer there's not much that's going to scare you in a haunted house so (laughs) I'm walking through the forest and this lady we walk around a corner and she had this cauldron this fake cauldron full of fake body parts right and you cannot make this up like you can't so she comes up and she gets right in my face and she says oh you have beautiful eyes can I have one and I just popped it out (laughs) and I held it out to her and she was screaming bloody murder and we all took off running through the forest and it was a great time yeah she was not expecting that I'm sure I'm sure she uh, is still in therapy and probably also never asked for body parts again (laughs) And my brother, he had his leg amputated. He's, his first cancer, well, his only cancer, the one that took his life, was osteosarcoma, and it started in his calf, and they had to amputate through the knee. And yeah. so he had a fake leg. Mm. So we, we had all kinds of fun with fake body parts <laughs> in my house. <laughs> yeah, that, that is unusual. Yeah. That's not your average, uh, what did you say earlier? I don't think I can <laughs> call you that. Average households, average freak of nature. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so we had lots of fun with uh, with fake body parts. Yeah, so after losing 
after losing my brother, me and my brother, we were super close. You know, you have a lot to bond over when you have mm-hmm. all the fake body parts together and you can hang out and take your, you know. <laughs> Leg have, off and your yeah, eye out. and your eye out and your <laughs> boobs over there. We don't know. But me and him were ext- just extremely close. And when losing him was something that I truly didn't know how to even keep going. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was a big deal. Jumping forward, in 2016, I also lost a husband. We had gotten married, and my business was going good. Our marriage was going good. I mean, I absolutely loved him, 100%. And I was out of town to a horse show, and I got a phone call, and uh, he had passed away, and he had committed suicide. And that was... uh, It was... (laughs) You don't know what to do with that. No. Can't take that in. No, and I I remember even in that moment, like I I fell to the ground just shaking and trembling and it was it was awful. He didn't have any life insurance and so I had to sell our house, had to just start everything start everything over. And uh, shortly after that, oh gosh, it was only not, it was less than a year. I mean, probably closer to four months after that happened. When you have so much happen like this, it's hard to keep track of like, oh, this is. But uh, shortly after that, my daughter was diagnosed with a with a brain tumor mm-hmm. that they told us was terminal. They told us she only had a year Oh wow! when she was diagnosed. And the kind of cancer that it is, they literally said we do not have a treatment option. There, nothing. And you've been down that road before. You've heard those things before. Yeah. And lucky for me, though, I mean, we could just cut it off and I could have a fake boot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but with her, with her brain tumor, the, the, the kind it is, they, they're, it's inoperable. It's, there's no chemo, there's no radiation, there's literally nothing. And they said that she had a year Mm. and uh, we are, gosh, four years down the road. And you would never know. Oh, that's wonderful. So is it still there and you're just yeah. watching it? And Yeah, we do scans once a year. And But I'll tell you what, I said a prayer when she got diagnosed. I said, and I said, because at this point I've lost my brother, my sister, my dad, and my husband. And I mm-hmm. said, all right, you guys, if one of you can't pull some strings, I'm going to come up there and kick all of your, <laughs> pardon my language, I'm going to come up there and kick all of your asses. So somebody better do something. And they did. They, they, did. <laughs> they took my threat. They knew I was very serious. So she's been our little miracle. That's been kind of some of the trials that me and my family have been through. And Thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's, I mean, I can't imagine that really. So it's a lot. So after going through all of that, a lot of people would just decide it's too hard or it's not worth it. And you're, you're very young. And so all of this has happened in a short amount of time. How did you choose to be positive and to saddle up and keep going? Honestly, I think that a blessing from this syndrome, if, if you can take something out of it, a blessing for sure is just realizing how short life is. And you realize that the people that you care about, they're not going to be here forever. And I think having that knowledge super young, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, it's, it hasn't been all positive. It hasn't been just an easy journey. In fact, I feel like I truly believe that having a positive mindset is a lot of work. Mm, it is yes. so much easier to play the victim role. And it is so much easier to be negative. And, you know, so I feel like having that genetic disorder truly has given me something that I feel is a blessing on a perspective, on the perspective of life, on the daily, mm-hmm. you know, you, you go to get mad about something silly. It just doesn't matter. Mm. You just realize that that doesn't matter. But after losing my husband, there was actually a night that I was laying in bed and for anyone, and all of us at some point experience loss and, and grief and the, the weight of that. So, I mean, it's I was in so much physical pain. It literally felt like my heart was being ripped right out of my chest. And my brain wanted to pop out of my head and explode from all the emotions. And I just felt like I cannot handle this. Like, I can't. This is too much pain. And I was laying there and I was like, I think I need to do hard drugs. Like I need to numb this even temporarily because I sure. can't, I can't live in this amount of pain. Mm-hmm. And 
I sat up out of bed and was like, I'm not going to do hard drugs to numb it, but I have to do something. And for me, a big thing for that was, was my daughter, you know, sure. I was like, but, but even just in general, you know, I know where that leads and what that looks like. I, I have family members who, you know, have substance issues and had seen that growing up mm. and I knew I didn't want that kind of life. So the next morning I didn't sleep much, but I slept a little bit, maybe 20 minutes. And I got up and I went and I was sitting on my couch and I was just thinking about everything I'd been through previously, specifically, you know, losing my brother mm. and just the pain and, and all the anguish and, you know, thinking in that moment, I, I remember being stopped at a stoplight one day and it was raining and I was like, I can't keep going after losing my brother. Like such a huge part of me felt like it died mm. with him. Mm. And I, d I was like, I don't even know who I am without him. So I was thinking about all of that and I was thinking, well, I got through it, you know, I'm, I'm still here. So how did I do that? Mm. And I really didn't know but the thought kept coming to me you know everyone had always told me I was such a positive person and I was like I don't feel positive right now <laughs> you know and so I was like well how how could I how can I find my mindset again how can I you know I, w I want to hold myself accountable for the only things that I can control which is my attitude and my mindset I may not be able to control the weather or sure. if I'm going to when I'm going to die or when other people are going to die, but I can mm -hmm. control my attitude and my mindset. So, wow, you're right. And it breaks it down. Sounds so simple. But as you said, when you're in those moments, it's really hard to make that choice. But I guess that's what we're all faced with is you can go positive or you can go negative. And so there's something to be hopeful for, I suppose, and all of that. Yeah. And so I actually, to help myself with that, I made what I call the positivity scale. Okay. So I wrote down on a piece of paper the days of the week, and I decided that each day I was going to pick three events, whatever stood out to me for my day. I was going to write those three events down. Beside that, I put positive and negative signs beside each event, those three events, and I would circle whether the event was positive or negative. And yes, that can be perspective thing, but there's some mm -hmm. pretty straightforward ones. So like, for example, I found out after losing the house and everything else that I couldn't keep the truck because my name wasn't on the truck and the bank wasn't going to work oh with me gosh. and all these things. So I couldn't even keep the, the truck, which I used for my business as mm -hmm. well. So that was this big thing. And I mean, that's a pretty negative event, right? Uh, yes. Like that's pretty straightforward. Definitely. <laughs> it's not, you know, the, the, the raisins didn't taste good with the oatmeal cookies. Like <laughs> right. it, it's a negative <laughs> event, right? So I would write, I'd circle whether the event was negative or positive. And then I had a column next to that, that was reaction. And I would hold myself accountable. Wow. And I'd circle whether my reaction was negative or whether it was positive. And again, perspective comes into that. But there's, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening. You can always say, did I handle that? And none of us are perfect. We're all striving to be better. But do I, did I handle that in a way that I felt like was as positive as I could in that moment mm -hmm. for whatever that event was? And then at the end of the week, I would write down the totals. I would just total everything up. And, you know, it was fun to be able to measure my progress, right? Because I did start in a negative spot. I didn't start being positive I was mm -hmm. you have to be honest with some things just suck and you can admit yeah. like this is terrible and but I can't have a positive reaction to this absolutely yeah. but that like in the same breath sometimes we have the most amazing things going on and yet we're choosing to be negative and we have to be honest mm -hmm. with ourselves about that as well so you know like uh, I remember one day when I when I very first started in fact it could have been the next day after starting this positivity scale some sweet old family friends brought me over cookies oh you know yeah and but it didn't, in that moment, I was like, I don't want to see anyone. I don't, I don't want to talk. I don't want to have to talk about anything. And the whole time they were there, that was kind of the headspace I was stuck in. And just after they left, I was just like, oh, I'm so glad. And so what did I need to do? I needed to circle. I, I had a negative reaction, let's be honest, right? Mm -hmm. Someone mm -hmm. is trying to come over, bring you a gift, and they care about you. And I could have handled that better. I could have been you know, more grateful and, and worked on my head, my mindset. So I would judge whether my reactions were negative or positive. And it was cool to be able to start to see because it helped me within each moment recognize where I was, how, where, where's my mindset. And so to be able to see it grow and in number form was pretty cool. Like, man, I am getting better. I'm feeling better. Mm -hmm. And not getting better, like as my, that, that's what's amazing is as my, as I was able to handle things more positively, it, <laughs> I felt better, right? Like, yeah, it still sucked, but I was happier. Mm -hmm. I was able to handle it. I was able to take on whatever challenges that day 
brought. And the other amazing thing was as my numbers of my attitude continued to climb, so did the positive events. And I mean, we hear all the time like, oh, if you're positive, it attracts positive and and all of those kinds of things. And yes, some of it's mindset shift, but truly when you're being honest and you're writing down those three main events, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm choosing to see that more positive is happening. I mean, it was truly that just more positive things started happening. Your reaction to the events, whether they were a positive or negative event was how you handled it. Yeah, in but a positive way. Yeah, even the events is like the event number mm-hmm. of positive events was truly increasing. That's and wonderful. Yeah. People can call that all they want, you know, yeah, karma you, again, or coincidence yeah. or, you know, the spirit world's lining yeah, up that you, can, you reap what you sow. So yeah, really there's great. a million ways you can look at that, but and it's true, but it, it was again for me it was cool to be able to have numerical like whoa. To back it this up. is cool. Right. You know, and see it transforming in real time was mm-hmm. was awesome. So that, so I still use that positivity scale. It and it's I try to do it now. Again, once we form habits, it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. And so I don't always write down. In fact, very rarely anymore do I write down my day. Mm-hmm. I should, <laughs> but I do check in like mentally as often as I can. Like, whoa, where are you at? What was that event? How are you doing with mm-hmm. your reactions? And um, when I can feel, my, feel myself really start slipping, I will for at least a week to a month, however long I feel like till I've kind of retrained my brain where I want it to be. I'll go back to using that positivity scale and actually make my whole, again, it's about accountability. It's easy if we're doing it in our head to dismiss it. Sure. And again, so simple. I've just met you, but I'm so proud of you because oh, you just have you. like simple solutions, really, when you take it all in and I'm, that's really cool. It's because I'm not that uh, smart so <laughs> I have to keep things simple. <laughs> What's that I saying? Mean, keep it simple stupid? Yes. That applies to horse training so often so I I like the simple stuff for sure. There you go. So how did you get connected with Arbinger? It's um, an awesome story actually. I had done I hadn't done any major speaking events. I used to do my dad ran a nonprofit foundation that helped when we were young and we lost my little sister we financially were not in a good place and I remember it being so incredibly stressful for my parents because they didn't know how they were even going to bury my sister and to just lose a child and then be worrying about how do I buy a casket Mm -hmm. and how do I buy a plot is just devastating and someone left and anonymously left a thousand dollars for for my parents and that I mean I remember my dad just bawling yeah makes me want to cry right now and so he took that experience and he started a nonprofit foundation that would help families when they lost a kid mm. to cancer cover the cover the funeral costs wow even with all he was going through yeah he he was that. an incredible person yeah yeah so I had done some I had done some speaking for my dad's foundation and when I was younger, but after he'd passed away, I hadn't done. And even then, it was more just, this is my daughter. And she had breast cancer. Sydney, do you have a few words? And I was like, hi, everybody. You know. So with Arbinger, they, through the equine therapy I had done, there was a lady that I had met there that would come in and volunteer and knew my story. And I guess Arbinger was looking for speakers for their big main event that they do every year called the Summit Event. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, I, you guys have to hear this, this girl's story, and you should, guys should have her speak. And so they reached out to me, and it was awesome to meet with them and hilarious all at the same time because I went and sat down, and they were like, well, what are you going to speak about? I'm like, I, <laughs> you asked what me. do you want me yeah. to speak about, you know? And they said, well, we heard your horse trainer. And I said, yeah. And they said, and we heard you have a crazy life story. And I said, yeah. And uh, so we kind of collaborated back and forth and all the things and had a couple meetings together. And I came up with kind of two different, originally two different outlines. And I said, okay, so we can do horse training and we can talk about leadership and developing good relationships. And I said, or we can talk about my family's story and, and overcoming trials and adversity and these things. And I kind of slid the papers to him and he goes, uh, his name is Mitch, and mm-hmm. he is incredible. Mm-hmm. And Mitch looks at me from across the table and goes, great. And he, bam, slams his hands down on both of them, and he goes, we're doing both. <laughs> and I started laughing. And mind you, I had, like, a 
20 minute time slot originally and I just started laughing and I said there's no way we are getting this done in 20 minutes sir <laughs> like <laughs> breaking out one of these in 20 minutes will be difficult and he just said nope that's what we're doing all right good luck call me if you need any help and it it, it did it ended up coming together absolutely wonderfully and I feel super grateful I felt I definitely felt some inspiration through all of that process because I I was very stuck and it it, it did come together and it means a lot to be able to share that stuff specifically this is pretty personal but I'll share it with you guys my uh my brother had an incredible story as well he made a bucket list before he passed away and one of the things that he put on his bucket list was give strangers lemons and my mom was kind of like Dallin what are you talking about you know he's this kind of punk right 15 year old kid (laughs) and she's like what are you talking about give strangers lemons and he goes yeah duh mom when life gives you lemons you make lemonade and so you know thinking of a 15-year-old boy dying of cancer. I mean, he was literally writing his bucket list as he's hooked up to a chemo machine. And that's what he comes up with. Yeah. It wasn't selfish. It was about making other people's lives better. Yeah. And he, right before he passed away, I made a promise to him that I was going to share his his story. Mm. And so to be able to speak feels like fulfilling that. Like, So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I started working on that and I did the speaking for them. And then they followed up with me after, and I'm going to be running some mindset workshops for them as well, which I'm super excited about. If, if anybody listening doesn't know, which I think you guys use it, the Arbinger content is, talk about good mindset work. Yes. That's what's most incredible, is you were already doing it. They yeah. didn't teach you. You, that's, you that's had what it. He, that's what they kept telling me. <laughs> and uh, actually, when I went to meet with them, they said, what do you know about our company? And I said, I don't know they, anything. And they were like, well... Uh, if you know Arbinger terms, you know, he said, well, you're one of the most outward mindset people we've ever met. And you need, he's like, you like, you need to know what we do. Cause this is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. And he goes, you're, you just are what we do. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? And so I went and did one of their outward mindset workshops. But I mean, even for me, oh, that content is awesome. Yes. We can all benefit from it. Even when we think we're on top of our game, it's always there to fall back on for sure. Yeah, I, cool. I hit the, just like with the positivity scale, I try to re-hit, refresh on all of Arbinger content, mm-hmm. I mean, at least once a week. And if I'm on top of that, for me, mm-hmm. oh, life is so much easier. Yes, that's right. All right, rapid fire questions. What's your favorite horse movie? Hidalgo. What's your favorite name for a horse? Kevin. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> um, do you enjoy public speaking? Yes. And what is a group of horses called? A herd. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That's fun. Well, Sydney, thanks so much again for being here. Um, where can people find out more about you? And Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for having me here and uh, letting me share my story with you guys. I hope that there was some some good content that you guys can use for you. Yeah, if people want to keep following kind of my journey and and where everything goes, they're welcome to follow me on Facebook and I'd love to I'd love to keep having people follow where where life takes us from here. So that's just Sydney Jackson on on Facebook. Okay. Well, we'll let you uh saddle up and ride off into the sunset. If you enjoyed this episode and have some ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on our show, shoot an email to gvecunplugged at gvec.org. Don't forget to subscribe to GVEC Unplugged Podcast on your favorite podcast platform to get notified whenever new episodes are released. Until next time, stay safe and take care of each other.